Thank you, Morgan. If you haven't opened your Bible yet, open it up so that you can see what God has to say to us for yourself. And before we begin, let's pray. Father, you are holy, and you are good. Lord, we need to know your goodness. We need you to help us now to see and to feel the high stakes of life and death. Oh Lord, you've given us a taste through the news this week. We need a Savior. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. You're the judge of the world. And someday you will come and make everything right. Come, Lord Jesus. And until that day, would you help your church to treasure you, to trust what you say, to live on every word that comes from your mouth? Now, as we're gathered, would you work among your people through your word that we would be able to see with the eyes of our hearts your glory? Through your word. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Last week, I listed up some of the incredible statements that Jesus makes about himself. No one speaks like this man. No one talks like our Jesus talks. And again, this week, he will speak like no other man. The hits keep coming week after week after week in this gospel. What comes from this man's mouth is like no other He's going to look at the Pharisees and the Jewish crowds who are listening to him teach, and he's going to say, I'm going away, and you will die in your sin. This is how you do evangelism. You tell people the bad news, and then you tell them there's a way out. Not just a way out of hell but a way into the everlasting, overflowing life of God. He's coming very soon. This is reality. And that's why I said, and I say it often, we need a dose of reality, don't we? And this is real. We're not dealing in fairy tales. We are dealing with reality. You and I and everyone who's ever lived and will ever live will one day either be in the presence of the light of the world or suffering away from him in judgment, death. That's reality. And Jesus sees it and he knows it. So we're going to dive into these words of Jesus. But before we do, I want you to notice something. Notice in our passage, again, again, Jesus wants to leave no doubt that when he speaks, he's speaking exactly what the Father wants him to speak. Look at verse 26. He says, I have much to, much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Look at verse 28. Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, 
and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Now, if you've been with us in this series of John for a while, you've noticed this is not new. Jesus has spoken like this before. John 7, 16, Jesus said this, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. John 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. That's an amazing thing for the Son of God to say. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So let's ask, why does Jesus keep saying this? Why does he keep telling the Pharisees and the crowds who are listening to him, listen, the things I say, they don't come from me only. I'm saying exactly what God the Father tells me to say. He's here on God's behalf. God is speaking when Jesus talks. Why? Why does he keep emphasizing that? The Pharisees think they know God. These are self-righteous men who think, we're good. We're good. We're good with God. God's good with us. God's like us. Because why wouldn't he be? Because we're so great. And Jesus wants them to be confronted with the fact that what he says comes from the Father. It's not just him that the Pharisees are rejecting. If they reject what Jesus says, they're rejecting what God the Father says. That's amazing. There's no space between the Father and Jesus where you can slide in and say, I don't agree with what Jesus says here, but I'm with God. There's no space between them. When Jesus speaks, God the Father is speaking. Again and again, Jesus wants to remind the Pharisees and you and me, he's not some rogue prophet. He's out on his own. He's here to make up a new religion. He wants you to know that when you hear the words come out of his mouth, you are hearing God speaking to you. Not just 2,000 years ago, but today. What you hear come from Jesus' mouth is God's word. Not just to the Pharisees, but to us. So you should think that this morning. You should think the words that Jesus are saying are God speaking. Take them personally. Will you hear what he says as a word from God to you and submit yourself under what God says? Or will you reject him like the Pharisees? So what's he saying? Okay, that's the setup. And it's all throughout our passage that that Jesus is speaking for God. So pay attention. What's he saying? Well, we're going to see three things from the Father that Jesus is telling us. And we'll take them one at a time. Here's number one. You will die in your sins. Listen to this man speak from the Father. Verses 21 through 23. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, 
You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. So Jesus is going away. That's how verse 21 starts. He's going to die for our sins. He's going to rise from the dead. And he's going to ascend back to the Father. That's how verse 21 ends. See that? You remember, he made this point last week in verse 14. He told the Pharisees and the crowds, you don't know where I'm from. I'm from the Father. And you don't know where I'm going. I'm going back to the Father. He tells this crowd, you cannot come where I'm going. I'm going to the Father and you cannot come. Why? Why can't they come with him to the Father? Their sin. You will die in your sin. Now what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about eternal death because of sin. He's not just talking about our bodies failing, which is going to happen to all of us someday unless Jesus returns. Our bodies will fail. Jesus is not talking about that. Your body failing and you slipping into some sort of nothingness forever. He's talking about hell. Endless suffering away from the life-giving presence of the Father. This is real. This is real. And it's horrible. God judges your sin and he judges my sin. We've not lived for God. We've not listened to him. We've disobeyed him. And the judgment that God has pronounced over you, your life, is death forever. You deserve it and I deserve it. We've sown the seed of sin. That's what we've done. And we will reap the harvest of death. This is our great loss. This is our great loss. This is the big one. God is happy. We talk about hell. You might think God's an unhappy God if he's sending people to hell. No, no. God is the happiest being in the universe. And Jesus is saying, you don't get to go there to him. You don't get to go where I am and the Father is. That's real loss. And it's our loss. We traded the most wonderful relationship imaginable for everlasting death. That's what we've done. We've really done it. It's what we've done in our sin. And Jesus is clear. You will die in your sin. He says it in verse 21. He says it again in verse 24. You see that? This is the big problem in the world. Sin and the death that comes through it. Are you clear on that? Like Jesus is? Crystal clear? So sometimes I talk to people, Christians, they talk about Jesus and they say, ah, I love Jesus so much. You know, I was, I was in poverty back in my home country and Jesus, he, he got me money. Or Jesus got me my visa. Or Jesus healed my mom, my dad. He does those things. He cares about those things. But those are way downstream 
from the spring of sin. Get this right. Your sin against God is your biggest problem by far. And if you've never felt that your sin, not just other people's sin, it's easy to feel like other people's sin is your biggest problem, but your sin is your biggest problem. If you've never felt that, ask God to help you feel it. Because if you don't believe this, you won't love Jesus as your sin-slaying sacrifice. You'll love him because you get more of this world from him. And that misses everything. If you're drowning in the ocean, you go to the beach, you swim out way too far, you start to drown. A lifeguard sees you, swims out to you, drags you back to the beach, puts you on the shore, wraps a towel around you, gives you a little cup of juice to help you revive. Okay, big crowds come around. The news truck drives up. A reporter comes out and says, tell us about the lifeguard. And you say, oh man, I love that lifeguard. I was so thirsty. And he gave me this cup of juice. And if that's what you're most thankful for, you have no clue what's going on. You don't understand what your big problem is. And so you've emptied yourself of your ability to really love that lifeguard for what made him lovely to you. You get that? Now, it's not a big deal in the scheme of life if you don't understand what the lifeguard did for you. But if you don't understand what Jesus has done for you and what he's doing for you, then you miss out on life. Treasuring Jesus is life. It's life. And if you miss the big display of who Jesus is as your sin sacrifice, then you're missing out on seeing the thing that will give you life. You'll miss him and his father altogether. If you've ever been to the eye doctor, get your vision checked, you know they've got a poster on the wall and it's got all those letters on it, right? So at the top of the chart, the letters are real big. And for some reason, it's always an E in the U.S. I don't know. They're not worried about people cheating. It's always an E. But as you go down, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. If you can't see that big letter at the top, you're not going to see any of the other letters. If you don't see sin as your biggest problem, cutting you off from the life of God, you won't see anything else like you should. You will miss out on the glories of Christ. That's why this matters. We have to know our problem truly if we're going to know our Savior truly. This is the first thing the Father speaks to us through Jesus here. He wants us to really grapple with it. You will die in your sins. Take it as a word from God and take it seriously. But he has more to say. And it's good that he does have more to say. Here's the second thing he says to us. Unless you believe 
that I am. Look at verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless, what an amazing word, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So Jesus is giving a way out. Do you hear that? He's giving a way out. You don't have to die in your sins. All you have to do is believe. Neither you nor anyone else you know has to die in their sins. You can go where Jesus is going. You can be transferred from a future of endless death and pain into the glorious, life-giving presence of God forever. You will die in your sins unless you believe. Unless you believe what? Let's say, unless you believe what? Now, in the original Greek, there are just two words here. Your English translation has three words. I am he. Unless you believe that I am he. In the Greek, it's just two words. They are ego I me. Ego is I. I me is the verb to be. Am. I am. You see that? I told you you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. That's verse 24, okay? Look down at verse 28. Jesus does the same thing in verse 28. It's a strange sentence. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Am. Now the ESV adds he after that, but it's not in the Greek. You must believe that I am. Who knows what's important about the phrase I am in the Bible? It's what God calls himself. Exodus chapter 3, God is speaking to Moses, and this is what he said. This, this is verses 13 and 14 from Exodus 3. Moses said to God, because God's sending Moses back to Egypt to bring the people out. Moses is scared. He says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. That's a strange sentence, isn't it? Unless it's a name. I am has sent me to you. Now, in the book of Isaiah, God is going to do this over and over and over and over again. He's going to call himself, I am. So here's just one example. This is Isaiah 43, verse 10. God says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. So in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, I am, God says, ego, I me. 
Now, saying those two words in Greek, ego, I, me, could mean it's me. So if I walk into my house, my wife's in another room, she hears the door open, and she goes, who is it? I could say, it's me. Ego, I, me. You could say it like that. But that doesn't work in verse 24. Unless you believe it's me, you will die in your sins? That doesn't make sense. That's why the Pharisees are confused in verse 25. Do you see that? They said, who are you? So he said to them, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And they respond, unless we believe that you are what? Don't you want to add another word or two behind that I am, Jesus? Unless you believe that I am your king or I am your savior? Isn't that what you mean to say, Jesus? No. Jesus says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus is claiming to be God. Now, I don't want to steal the thunder from the sermon in three weeks. I don't know what that that phrase means. If you don't know what stealing thunder is, that's fine. I don't want to steal from what's going to be preached in three weeks when we get to verse 58. But Jesus is going to say this one more time. I am. And the Pharisees understand, hold on. This man is claiming to be Yahweh, the God of Israel. And they pick up stones to kill him. He's saying the same thing here. Unless you believe that he is the I am, the God of Israel, you will die in your sins. That's an astounding claim. That is an astounding claim from the mouth of Jesus. Unless you believe that I am the God of Israel, you will die in your sins. Why do you need to believe that Jesus is God in order to be saved? I'm just going to give two reasons. Here's one. We need someone who has God-sized worth to pay for our God-sized sin. You got that? We need someone with God-sized value to pay for what our sin deserves, which is a God-sized debt. So if I steal your Ferrari, you know what a Ferrari is? It's a car. Your Lamborghini, your Maserati. If I steal it and I drive it into a tree, what do I owe you? I owe you a Ferrari. What if I try to give you my bicycle instead? Will justice be done? No. If I try to give you my bicycle, I go to jail. You need to pay Ferrari-sized money for a Ferrari theft. If I steal glory from God, which is what sin is, abusing his glory, spitting on it, saying that his infinite glory is nothing, that's what sin is. 
like taking the Ferrari and crashing it into a tree. What do I owe God? I owe him more than a Ferrari. Sin against an infinitely glorious God is an infinite crime. If you don't get that in your head, the Bible's not going to make sense to you. Sin against an infinitely glorious God is an infinite crime. What are you going to give God for an infinite crime? Your bicycle? No way. You and I don't have infinite glory. We can't pay him infinite glory from our bank account. And so we go to jail. We die in our sins forever. Is there any man who has unlimited glory and can pay that size of debt? There's one. Jesus Christ. Because not only is he a real human, he is also God. So when he dies on the cross, he is the only sacrifice who could possibly pay our debt. That's the good news of Christianity. He's paying for your sins as a real human, but because he has the worth of God, he can do it. And all you must do to receive it is believe. And it's yours. Believe that he is the I am. He's one with God. You must believe if you would be saved. Here's the second reason that we must believe that Jesus is God if we're going to be saved. Because only God himself can show us the fullness of who God is. Only God himself can show us all that God is. You remember the beginning of this book? Chapter 1, verse 18, John the Apostle who wrote this says something amazing. He says, no one has ever seen God. Then he says, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That's amazing. No one's seen God, but the only God, God the Son, who is at God the Father's side, he shows us what he's like. The reason that's so important, I said this earlier, is because knowing God is what life is. If you go to John chapter 17, we're going to get there eventually. Lord willing, this year, we'll get to John 17. Jesus is praying to the Father. Listen to what he says. He says... This is eternal life. You want to know what eternal life is? It's not just existing forever. He says, this is eternal life. And he's about to define it. That they, you and me, may know you, the one true God, and Jesus whom you've sent. That's life. You want to know what life is? It's not just existing forever. It's knowing God. That's life, which means it really matters that we know him in truth. We know him as he really is, and there's one who can do it. There's one who can let us know who he really is. So if you go on a trip somewhere beautiful, 
Let's say you travel to the Himalayas. Thomas has been there. I spoke with him yesterday. If you go to the Himalayas and you take your video camera with you, let's say you're going to video everything you see. You go to one mountain, a huge mountain, so you, you're taking video while you're there of the big rock face. You're looking down into these cavernous depths. You're looking at all the snow that's stacked up. And you come back with your video. What will it show us? It will show us what you saw. But it will only show us what you saw. So we have movie night. You're going to show us your videos. And we get to see, wow, that's an amazing rock wall right there. Whoa, that's deep. That's a deep cavern. Hey, can you show us the mountains on the other side? Can you show us those? What would you say? No. I didn't go there. I can only show you what I saw. You can only show what you yourself have seen. Who can show us all there is to know about God? Only someone who has seen all that God is. A creature cannot see all that God is. Only God can. Because Jesus is God, he sees all that God is, and therefore he can show us all that God is, which is life. This is why we must believe that Jesus is God if we'll be saved. Now, it's clear from this passage that while Jesus is God, he really is God, he's also not the Father. You see that in verse 28. He says, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am God and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So this is amazing. Jesus is God. He's God the Son. He's not God the Father. He is equal with God. And yet he always does what's pleasing to his Father. And that's why he can be a sacrifice for sinners like us. Believe that Jesus is I am. He's God. That's the second thing Jesus tells us as a word from his Father. And here's the final thing Jesus will tell us. His own crucifixion is the way he reveals himself. His own crucifixion, his own dying on the cross is how he shows us what he is like. Look at verse 28. Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So according to these verses, when will it be clear that Jesus is God? He comes from God. He shows us what God is like. He does what's pleasing to the Father. When is that? Yeah, when he's lifted up. Well, this doesn't mean when he goes to heaven. 
You can look at John chapter 3 if you need to. Jesus being lifted up is when he is lifted up, nailed to a piece of wood on a cross, suspended above the ground. That's when you will know who he really is. Let's be really clear as we close. And we are closing now. The glory of God, that glory that Jesus himself has, the glory we need to know if we're going to live forever, that glory, that majesty, that beauty, that life is unleashed toward us when Jesus dies on the cross. He's not there for his own sins. He's there for ours. Do you want to know what God is like? Jesus shows us most clearly who God is on the cross. That's what verse 28 is saying. When he's lifted up, when you see, wait a second, this man did nothing wrong. He's one with God. That's when you see who God is. This is love. This is sacrificial love. This is infinite mercy and kindness towards us. It's infinite, full justice. That's when you see who God is. Do you want to know the character of God? Look at the cross. And you will see what God is like. Do you see? Do you not want to die in your sins? You don't have to die. Do you want to be with Jesus where he is now in the presence of God with all his delight? You can. He died so that you don't have to die. If you believe him, believe him and you will pass out of death into life. Believe him and he's yours. That's my call to you. It's a call. Remember, if these are God's words, they are God's words. He wants you to hear them and he wants you to come. He wants you to have life. And that's what Malloy read earlier. If God says you will die in your sins and you hear the warning and you come to him for refuge at the cross of Jesus Christ who died for you, you will have life. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. He wants you to be saved. So come to him. And church, those who know him, come to him again. Come to him as faith. We're going to take the Lord's Supper here. This is a time for you to remember, yes, this is for me. This is where I see what God is like. This is who the Father is. So believe it.